Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I am catching up with Matt Tuttle, who is currently and very interestingly living and working in the NBA bubble supporting the Denver Nuggets. Somebody in the profession reached out to me recently and wanted to find out about my dual experiences transitioning from being a professional strength coach to becoming and working as a physio in sport. So I curiously wanted to catch up with Matt and ask him about his journey in a hybrid role, if we call it that. Only his combination is comprised of physical therapy, coupled now with sports science at the same time. This episode has been sponsored by Vald Performance, makers of the Force Frame Strength Testing System. The Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, it can also be used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. The system is portable, easy to use, and designed to ensure that every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured. To learn more, visit vaudperformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald, and without further ado, here is the catch-up between myself and Dr. Matt Tuttle. Matt, it's always good to have you on. Welcome back, and how are you, mate? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to be back. NBA bubble life down here in Orlando has been has been good, and uh, we're just rocking and rolling. How are you doing? Very good. I mean, I could I could waste this whole episode asking you just meaningless questions about Disney and what it's like to live in the bubble, um, but I'll try to refrain from that. But how how are things down in uh, Orlando? They're they're really good down here. I think the NBA has done a great job uh, getting this set up and established so that we can have games again. The testing policies have been excellent. Uh, what they've released and saying that there hasn't been any player positive tests yet when we've been down here speaks to the job they've done you know there are challenges at times just from you know a three to four week block of practices and scrimmages since we got here and being away from family but overall it's been it's been a great experience and just just ready to get ramped up into games yeah and I've known I've no doubt it's a intense experience but it, it must be fostering good kind of um team atmospheres at time and camaraderie when you get it right absolutely I think that's been one of the one of the best parts about being down here is normally when we're on the road, you're visiting cities and uh, you're visiting friends and families in cities or different people uh, have friends and families in different cities. So there's not always as many team experiences, but our our coaching staff's done a great job of setting up a lot of team experiences separate from just like the meals. So we had a game night. Uh, we went out to one of the restaurants inside of the bubble and people were fishing off the side of the docks guys have been able to get out go golfing so all those experiences brought people a lot closer together when normally there's so many distractions in the midst of an NBA season yeah and I can imagine sort of expanding beyond the bubble um, whenever the sort of next normal season resumes or, or starts you'll have better information and better relationships with the players I can imagine because yes you're still having to provide I guess from your point of view your usual technical services but like you said you're playing games with the players you you're in conversation with them more I guess the relationships and the information you get from them are going to be better yeah absolutely I think uh, your relationship with players and I've probably mentioned it on previous podcasts here as well I think that goes so far towards team success is having positive relationships not just with your players but with the coaching staff the rest of your technical staff as well so I think this will pay dividends down the road. And I think even right now it's going to be good as uh, we step into games all this time that we've spent together and been able to get to know each other better. Yeah. And to, um, to, sh- to shine the light on you and put you under some pressure like I enjoy doing when you're on as a guest, um, <laughs> I'm going to focus the conversation a bit more at you now. And uh, there's no huge need to give a big background as we've had you on uh, for very clinical episodes before which I'd encourage the listeners to check out on episodes 11 and 24. But for listeners perhaps now discovering informed performance or maybe yourself, could you just tell them kind of what you do currently? Yeah, currently my role is lead sports scientist and physical therapist for the team. So I bridge uh, two similar but obviously different skill sets. And so I spend a good chunk of my time treating players, especially here in the bubble, uh, We have a lot more time and availability for treatment, but then the other half of my work 
uh, goes into managing our AMS, our load, our periodization, uh, not from a strength and conditioning standpoint, but periodizing our weeks and our days uh, and how we lead up to match days and then being reflective about that data. So what are we doing on post-game days or recovery? Uh, so that's kind of where my skill set lies. And, you know, obviously the world's in a, in a strange place at the moment. And so I think it's probably as good a time as any to reflect and look forward. And back in episode 26, I had a conversation with Pete McKnight, who who's at Hintza, and we were speaking about sort of progressing from technical to leadership level roles. And I guess I'd like to expand on this with you out of sort of selfish curiosity and break it down from your experiences. And, you know, I've, I've got a bit of a bias that whilst we need to focus on our kind of bread and butter professional duties, we have to have some literacy in the other sort of interdisciplinary roles in their sciences. I want to backtrack from your role as head of sports science at the Nuggets. Can we first off discuss your journey in technical delivery as a PT to familiarization going into sports science? Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey for sure. And it feels like as, uh, in the last six years that it has just flown by. So I finished my uh, DPT in 2014. Moved down to North Carolina to, like you mentioned, better my technical skills. So I started residency immediately following my DPT, uh, my sports residency in North Carolina. Spent a few years there working through getting my board certification in sports and my orthopedic specialist certification as well. This included time working in professional soccer with North Carolina FC and the North Carolina Courage, as well as a good chunk of time working with uh, special forces both off post and then had an opportunity to do some on post work uh, at Fort Lewis as well. So really honing those technical skills, trying to improve there went on from that to start my fellowship in manual therapy. Cause I felt the same thing, you know, like my technical skills need to be better. This needs to be my bread and butter. At that point, um, I also started recognizing that there was there was a lot more out there that I felt I needed to know, and this was understanding what sports science truly was, not just the the peripheries of it as we often hear of like, oh, well, you just hear load thrown around or you hear sleep thrown around, and I was feeling like I needed a little bit more. So after finishing my fellowship, uh, I started my PhD with Central Queensland University in Australia in exercise and sports science. This has been since I've been in the NBA. So my focus is on uh, external workload in game and the development of an NBA specific fitness test. So diving in farther there. And as these years have gone on, my role in sports science has continued to evolve and continue to build. Uh, so that's where kind of that 50-50 split comes from. And, you know, you're a clinician wearing two hats and your your personal clinical credentials are endless. I, I barely recognize some of the letters at times. And, um, whilst, you know, whilst your sports science um, development, I guess, has been supported academically of a PhD, in, in a professional setting, what was the learning curve like for you when you began to oversee sports science in a field that wasn't originally your personal technical roots? Yeah, I I think it was one of those moments where I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, the The real evolution started when I was working for North Carolina FC. It was in my first year there. They were still the Carolina Railhawks before they rebranded. And they had uh, purchased a monitoring platform in AMS. And, but nobody really was managing it at the time. Uh, it was like, you know, it helped for practice planning. It was good to get guys to fill out a subjective survey and spend some time monitoring. And at this time, teams were starting to invest in heart rate straps. This is also second division soccer. So stuff's a little bit different where you have to wear a lot of hats. Uh, so I started taking a little bit of a lead on that and keeping an eye on what players were reporting as far as soreness. And that allowed me, I felt, to be a better clinician because I was more aware of what their subjective reports were when I couldn't have a longer conversation with them. Uh, and then as we started building in some 
workload monitoring tools, whether internal or external, it just kind of started to build. And as that happened, I found myself diving more and more into the sports science research as opposed to just say clinical PT research. Mm. That was how, that was how it all really started. And from there it's evolved into uh, learning more and more, seeking out individuals uh, to improve my skill set. We could actually talk about that. That was how some of the PhD stuff started for me, um, was seeking out individuals who, who could help guide me, who could help me learn. And now I feel like while I know a lot more, I feel like I know even a smaller percentage of the field, really. It's like, as you learn more, you recognize how big the gaps are in your learning and your education. Hmm. How have you been able to, I find this like mind boggling. How have you managed to, in an, in a typical MBA season, balance the PhD with the, the traveling circus that is the MBA and the schedule that you have to follow? Absolutely. I think, uh, Time management, as much as that sounds like a, a cop-out answer, is really the key. I try and spend as much time when I'm home at my house with my computer closed. Now, obviously, like work still has to get done. My wife's a teacher, so she'll be doing work at home, and we can find times that that's easy to do. I think I spend a lot of my time working on the road. Because while the season is extremely busy, there's also a lot of time on planes that counts as downtime where you can read and write for a PhD. Uh, there's times in hotel rooms between sessions where you may get a couple hours, so it's nice to get a workout in to stay healthy there. And then also exercising your brain by working through some of my PhD work and reading. And you know all those times also then support getting stuff done for my, for my position, right. While still managing our, uh, our AMS, which is a time consuming task as well. So I think it's just, it's never allowing myself to just space out or not feel like I'm being effective. Hmm. And we're always going technical and discussing, um, the what rather than the how, which is a line I'm stealing from Nick Winkleman, who shameless plug is an episode we're about to release. Um, <laughs> Anyway, I'll continue. We're, we're really good at focusing our conversation technically on, you know, the usual things like hamstring injuries, rehab, GPS, load management. But I did see that the MBPA's agenda of topics this year included orthobiologics, HGH, CBD. Um, besides living at Disney right now, are the winds changing? And what I mean by that is at your level, are you seeing perhaps new questions in performance? or new curiosities that are kind of developing in the performance space that you, you work within? Yes. I, I look back to what we were talking about in professional soccer five or six years ago to the conversations that are happening in the NBA, and I, stuff is absolutely changing. I think there's always, in high performance, there's always what is the next edge, what more can we do, how can we get better, which creates some interesting discussions and also forces you to adjust your philosophy a little bit on, you know, what is, what is the most bang for our buck? Um, I think these conversations are excellent and it's, it's always good to be wondering what more can we do? How can we reduce risk of injury? How can we improve performance? But at the same time, I always get back to are our athletes sleeping enough? Are athletes eating appropriately? what is our work program? So what is our practice schedule? How does that fit with our strength and conditioning platform? How does that fit with our medical platform and our recovery? So I think that that's really like the 90%. And then the last 10% is this, is the fringe stuff that you're kind of alluding to. So what other supplementation can we be adding? Uh, what can players be doing in the off season to hone their skills is there better ways to learn uh, to improve skill set? So, yeah, the con the conversation's always evolving, but I, trying to stay grounded, I think, is also crucial uh, in that discussion. Yeah, I'm, I'm always curious how the you know the the bells and whistles are, I think are probably always going to be a part of the picture because technology is going to continuously evolve, and we're always going to be curious, like you said, about um, obtaining that edge that we can use in our environment. Um, you know, as someone that's in a, in a leadership role, how do you, uh, I guess, create buy-in or how do you sell 
perhaps the the quick wins or the the low tech um, simpler things that people can easily acknowledge are important, but they don't always um, they don't always happen at the sort of cutting edge level that they could do, despite their um, their simplicity. You know, things like communication, as an example, would be a would be a prime one. Yeah, I that one. I think is the biggest. I think is I've grown from just being a technical clinician where my goal was to get, you know, like physically prep players to play, assist players in recovery. Uh, and I wasn't necessarily having conversations outside of my sphere or outside of our performance unit as my role has grown and as sports science has grown with the, with the Denver Nuggets, it's led to more conversations with our head coach, our assistant coach, the front office, our player development staff. It, I think you hit it with communication. I think that's the biggest. If we think we're doing something as a performance staff uh, or we have a great plan as a performance staff, but our coaching staff doesn't buy into that, it, it's completely ineffective because ultimately the coaches are going to make those decisions about what truly happens in practice uh, or how long practice goes or what changes are made on the fly in practice. So if they don't if we haven't communicated our plan effectively, then that, that kind of goes out the window. I think finding proper ways to educate uh, everybody is important as well. We so often believe that our knowledge in high performance is, is common knowledge and that common knowledge and the common language that we use, that others uh, understand that as well. And that's, that's definitely not the case. It's, it's similar to when they are having conversations about basketball that while we feel like we're really well versed in it, that's their skill set. And we're definitely missing layers of the conversation. So I've taken a little bit of a different approach into educating our coaches as well, not just through conversation, but also through building handouts or like spiral bound books that can be little reference books on coaches' desks for how we discuss workload, how we discuss periodization, uh, why we do what we do. I think that's been pretty effective as well, especially when we think about how individuals learn. Not everybody is going to get as much out of a conversation as they may get when they're reading it. Um, so I, I think that's been a really, a really helpful tool and something that I didn't envision doing several years ago, but just always trying to chip away at those layers for improving performance. I think that's a really interesting approach because it's so common, obviously, for coaches and clinicians and, and sports scientists to um, implement infographics that, and signage that's just dotted around training facilities for the player's benefit. You know, and typically that's going to be on things like recovery. But I think that's quite an, a nice touch that you added where you've created an educational resource that you put on the coaches' desks or other professional staff's desks for them to read because I think whilst especially during COVID, we now really, really more than ever appreciate the value of conversation. I think also sometimes being flexible to create a resource that you can put on someone, put under someone's nose and they, when they do consume it, that is perhaps with more intent and less distractions and maybe a bit more time. So I think that's a really nice um, little sort of system you've devised there. Yeah, I, I was getting frustrated admittedly um, that I felt like I was having a lot of the same conversations. Uh, and I, I was trying to think, why am I having these same conversations? Like this can't, I can't push these problems off on others, right? The coaches have a lot on their plate. They have a lot of decisions to make and they, they shoulder a lot more pressure and a lot more of the burden than we do on the performance staff. So I was trying to figure out why, I was having the same conversations, why I was having those feelings and why I felt like I wasn't being effective. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm probably catching them at bad times. I'm probably not addressing their learning preferences. So building that system out has been pretty effective because it also now when it's sitting on their desk and I send out a daily report, if they're reading through the report and there's something they don't know, it's not, hey, I have to text him or I'll just deal with this later. It's like, oh, I have my kind of my answer booklet or my cheat sheet right next to my computer. And that's, that's been really effective. So trying to do more of that, I think you mentioned it. We do a lot for the athletes of sprinkling the education around our practice facility, but let's sprinkle in the education for others as well. And 
address their concerns and their times for learning as opposed to trying to make everybody fit into our box. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really nice. And, you know, on this podcast and on other podcasts I've listened to, you're always, you're always hearing people say in sport, especially that you've only got a limited number of bullets that you can fire on, on a given problem or, um, or thing that you're trying to achieve. So I think creating another option for that, like you said, stops you repeating yourself and probably captures what you want quicker um, and more effectively. I want to segue a little bit. You're a PT and the lead sports scientist at the Nuggets and people will be you know, well-versed in understanding those entities separately. But when blended together, how does that actually play out logistically in terms of your role? So... What I'd love to know is, you know, what do you actually kind of manage or what objectives do you specifically drive at the Nuggets when those two things are combined? So I mean, I manage a pretty good amount of material between the two. Uh, on the sports science side, managing our AMS platform uh, takes, a, takes a really good chunk of time to get worked out. And so that'll include our subjective monitoring uh, as well as our objective monitoring. Now, whether that's like a wellness or an RPE or uh, our accelerometer platform, that all falls in there. And then building reports out of that for the coaches, for the front office, off of that data. Additionally, inside of our AMS, we also feed through a great deal of our strength and conditioning data and then a great deal of our medical data. So any of the data that we're collecting as medical staff uh, from that role as a PT as well, flows into our AMS, which allows our performance unit as a whole to all see the same information and visualize the information uh, the same and in the most efficient way possible. So on the medical side, that can range from how are we tracking recovery? uh, What screening tools do we use for, you know, potentials and risk reduction uh, for injury? That all flows in there for our Strength and conditioning stuff we have, you know, what are the workouts guys are doing or flowing through that platform? Uh, If you're looking at uh, like force plates or strength profiles, we have all of our information in this one space. So trying to keep that platform up and moving and flowing appropriately is a task in itself. And then on top of that, getting all the data input uh, into that platform as well. So there's a lot to manage and a lot of moving parts and communication that goes along with that amongst the staff to make it work smoothly. But, you know, as we've gotten uh, farther and farther into this over the years, it's, it's come out much better and we've made a lot of progress in that, that sector over the last few years. And obviously, you know, your initial training isn't as a sports scientist or a data scientist, but you're dealing with huge data sets. If you can, you know, when you compile all of those different metrics into one, AMS system. Have you kind of had to do any kind of personal development in, you know, data management or statistics or coding and, you know, all the techier side of things? Yeah, I, uh, that, that's been an experience for me. It's been great to go through. Uh, I, I can't say that if you had asked me coming out of PT school, I'm not sure it was something that I would have been uh, super excited about, but having to learn more about just I'll say it very generally, the computer side of things in general, from building out visualizations that uh, make sense, not just to myself or to our performance staff, but really to the front office and to the coaches has been a huge experience. Have been, you know, learning to code a little bit. Uh, a big shout out to Jesse Green with the Kings. I'd bring him on this podcast if we ever get a chance. Uh, who he and I have connected a lot over the hiatus just to talk through some of my weaknesses uh, inside of the sports science because he's much more driven in that direction and it's been really beneficial for me. Uh, So continuing to learn in that space from a coding and computer science standpoint so I can be better in the future. And, you know, I think working through my PhD has been helpful as well as you start to learn more about uh, statistics and what information is valuable and why and how to get there. And how does your staff, um, you know, function? How do you, I guess, meet, how do you communicate and interact within your interdisciplinary variety as you have it at the Nuggets? 
Yeah, we have a we have a really diverse staff, which I think goes a long way for our success. Uh, so we have two strength coaches, two athletic trainers, uh, another PT besides myself, and a massage therapist. And we meet on a daily basis prior to player treatments or player lifts or workouts starting. We work through our entire roster on a daily basis. And then inside of that, we consider what are their body development needs for the day? What are their medical needs for the day? And then uh, the simplest way, what are their load metrics been recently? And what are we looking for them out of the coming days? Uh, And then how does that fit into a game schedule? And why are we making these decisions around that? So for us, we can create a group consensus or a group message for each player as far as where they are currently, where they're going, and how that fits into the team's success. And then it also allows us uh, to have a group message towards the coaches in the front office about what we feel will be the most beneficial uh, for the team's success, whether that is how much are we practicing, how hard are we practicing, when and where do we want to stay over, and then always supporting that with why we believe that. Uh, There's so many parties that have an influence on decision-making in the NBA that we want as a group to come off as one and one message and be very clear and concise with that. So those meeting times allow us to do that and have some really great discussions around those topics. And do you kind of have to double up in terms of your meeting or communication time as someone who a touches with the, uh, the medical and the sort of, as you phrased it, the bodily needs of the players through the predominantly, I would imagine the, the medical and manual team, do you then double up and go into sort of like the strength and conditioning meetings as well? Or do you, are they kind of all at the, what, the same time with each other? Yeah. So we're all at one, we're all at one table. Uh, so all seven of us are sitting down together. Uh, we're in the process of retooling our meeting space to make it even better where we can get visualizations up on each TV that will allow us to talk through uh, some of these considerations even more easily. <clears throat> Sorry, you can ooh, edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> so since we have those uh, TVs available and we can get the visualizations up there, all of us being in a room together allows us to talk through this process. And then, of course, we branch out. So, you know, our two strength coaches are having a separate meeting about some of the more nitty gritty and specifics for the day. Uh, our medical, so our two PTs and two ATs, we are sitting in the training room talking a little bit further after that as well. If there's anything that we didn't feel like we flushed out, but having such a diverse staff too in that space all at once allows everybody to feel like their voice is heard, which I think is, is crucial for group dynamics. Uh, now, whether or not your opinion is always chosen isn't what's important, but having those voices heard and having multiple opinions considered is great. And I think there's times as a group that, you know, some of us will take the opposite side just to discuss it. It's really easy because it's still not a huge group to say, oh, hey, that makes the most sense to us. Okay, but not like let's talk through the other side of this decision and find out why that one might make more sense or to reinforce our original decision. So you know, my fellowship taught about talked a lot about your logic, your decision making, uh, any fallacies there. So, trying to bring that into our meeting space, I found pretty important as well. And I think we get to better decisions because of it. I think performance is an interesting one as well because there's you know there's plenty of ways to skim the cat, and you can uh, you can reinforce or justify something quite easily at times. And I think the risk of that is you can create an echo chamber. So I think. I completely agree with you. You need, um, almost for the sake of it, that kind of uh, critical process, even if it's just plain devil's advocate, just to stress test your ideas and uh, dig into the the why or how and uh, and kind of reinforce why or what you're doing. Um, and I, I think I've, I've heard, and I've stolen that a little bit from other podcasts and conversations, but um, I think we do sometimes risk being a bit of an echo chamber to ourselves. Um, whether that's sports medicine, sports science, strength and conditioning, or you know whatever performance-driven field it is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, especially when your staff has been together for a while, like we've, 
Uh, our assistant strength coach is new this year, but otherwise the group of us has been together for three years and then a chunk of that for, you know, several years before I got here. Um, so when you feel like you have a group message and you already have a strong culture and you have a mission that your whole group believes in, it gets even easier to be that echo chamber. So I'll say there's a lot of times that I just end up flipping the flipping the cards and saying like, all right, look, I'll play the other side of it. I, I can stir this up a little bit. Uh, even if I don't agree with the message, just because I, th- I think that's so important to making the right decision for our players and our organization. And I think whether that's focused on results or just, you know, into professional development, it's a, it's a productive um, role for you to play either way. I think in that situation, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's interesting when you're in clinical practice, you get so many reps working through your decision making. Now, you may not have the time to get through as much of it as you would like because you have patient after patient after patient in the clinic. But in this setting, we have the same 17 guys throughout the year and your reps are so much lower. So if you have four people on a medical staff and 17 players, you're just not you're not seeing that many players. You're not forcing yourself to make that many decisions or get the reps up. So looking at it from the other viewpoint and just working through it for the sake of doing it, uh, I think it's great for your professional development. It keeps your skills sharp as well. Mm. And you, you flirted with um, culture then. And I think we've been really focused and led by sports science for a while. And that's not meant in a bad way at all. But I think, you know, as we touched upon at the beginning or earlier on communication and relationships are a big part of culture. And I think culture is maybe getting some added attention currently with uh, the last dance documentary that everybody globally has just watched. And, and probably, you know, what you mentioned and what you're probably experiencing face to face with the players and the staff in the bubble at the moment, culturally, um, from your experiences at the Nuggets or, or with other teams that you've been involved with, how have you kind of personally gone about developing or strategizing culture in your environment that you work in? Absolutely. I think, I think it's a, it's probably a decently long answer. I mean, working in soccer before in second division soccer and first division women's soccer, like you're just so grossly underfunded there that it, developing a culture is hard because you have, you know, we had one athletic trainer for each team and then myself who floated between the two teams. Um, so it's hard to develop a group culture where there's three of you spaced out across two teams and practice schedules can be similar, et cetera. So I had thought a lot about it in that space. Like how would group dynamics change what we do? How would building a culture change what we do? And then when I started with the nuggets, it was a, it's been a big mission of ours over the last several years to develop a strong culture. And when I say that, not something as simple as, well, let's just, be happy and work together, um, which I think is is sometimes a cop out. Like co- the word culture is thrown around, but people don't dive into the layers after it. Like uh, in the last several years, we've developed a mission statement. Um, we've developed handouts for coaches in front office about what our culture is, what defines us. So what is our mission statement, how we make decisions, why we make decisions, uh, And then inside of our group, we are identifying, you know, what are the values that we want most importantly, whether that is, do we prioritize being right or do we prioritize respecting our coworkers? Do we prioritize being correct or is it about the uh, thought process that it takes to get to the best result at the time, knowing that that can change from moment to moment in the NBA. So just working through some of that has been so important. And I think we've, we've done a really nice job of it. I think our culture here is ever evolving as it always should be as well. Uh, I would hope in a year that I can look back on our time in the bubble and say, it was good. And now we're in a better place because our group went through that together. And it was such a unique experience. And we tend to talk about culture, I think at least conceptually or quite a lot of the time at the sort of implementation stage. Um, 
how do you monitor and review culture? Because obviously, if it was a sports science metric, we would always go back to testing our hypothesis. How do you do that with a cultural uh, system or cultural um, strategy that you have at a team? I That's a great question. Uh, I think first it takes a great deal of self-reflection, uh, group, group reflection, and we do that in a couple of ways here. So you know, I think I think self-reflection is one that at this level, you're always looking back at how did I do today? Did I make the right decisions? And maybe there's a layer of overthinking that as well. Uh, but, you know, how did I make, did I make the right decisions for that player as far as treatment or did I make the right decision as far as that recommendation? I look at that as separate as culture. The real cultural question is, how did the meeting go today? Was that meeting effective? Why was it effective? If it wasn't effective, what could I have done to facilitate that meeting being more effective? So I think that's the, that's the layer of self-reflection. And then as a group, we meet of course daily about the player stuff, but we also try and meet several times throughout the year to reflect on our group culture and our group dynamics. And that space takes a lot of honesty. And the other word I would probably use there that is a little bit of a buzzword is, is making yourself vulnerable uh, to what the group may say about you. And then also making yourself vulnerable because what you are about to say to the group can be received in multiple ways, regardless of how you mean it. So I think it takes, it takes a really great group of individuals to have those meetings, be honest with each other, and then still walk out of that room saying, here is our group consensus. Here is where we're going to go for the day. We are going to maintain a servant leadership or servant mentality for our players and for the organization. So ultimately, we're still here to support everything else that's going on. But that is a, those meetings are challenging uh, in the most honest way possible. And they're also necessary because it allows us to grow as a staff on a, on a fairly regular basis. Do you think the kind of um, showing vulnerability, um, uh, let's call it an approach, do you think that almost allows you to disarm whatever comment is going to come next? So by by going through that kind of, and you're not doing it deliberately just to tick a box, but by, by showing some vulnerability, maybe before you um, attack the topic, you kind of disarm what you're about to say, and it, it becomes a bit of a, a more open and uh, easy, you know, it's, it's a less sort of, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Um, less aggressive or yeah. less, you know, people aren't going to misconstrue what you're trying to say next. They are, they'll listen to it with open ears rather than on, on the defense. Yeah. I think it's really good to start those meetings uh, with individuals discussing what they feel they could, they could have done better in the last month, two months, three months, right? Cause now you have each person is exposing themselves to start instead of coming into a meeting and being abrasive towards others, which is, well, what could we have done better as a group? And anytime those comments come up or those questions come up, uh, it can be perceived in certain groups as a, as a shot or as trying to undermine or target individuals. But I think by starting a meeting with, here's what I could do better on a personal level, um, all while writing that out for the group so we can come back to it. Because somebody's feedback may come back to, hey, I think as a group, we could have done X, Y, and Z. And if you have already floated that out there about yourself, you've made yourself open to absorbing that feedback. And then, of course, not letting those sessions devolve into just like, well, we should do this or we should do that, or I didn't do well at this. And it becomes very uh, kind of dark, pessimistic, non-productive. It's very quick to change gears into well, here was the, here's the list of things that we feel like as individuals we're not doing well or as a group we could improve. How are we going to change those? And then, of course, inside of those meetings, always talking about what you've done well, too, because it's always nice to reflect on our, what are we doing well and why, and then looking back at notes from previous meetings to say, hey, here are the three things we came out uh, last quarter saying we were going to do better at, did we accomplish these goals? I think working through that process really changes group dynamics, but you know, ultimately it comes back down to that group being honest and accepting of feedback from one another.
I've got a really mean question that uh, builds on this, but I'm only going to ask it to you because I, I trust with your experience that um, you, you'll be okay to answer it. But if, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario where you need um, perhaps vulnerability at times to have that culture, but equally you need that culture to be a safe space in the first place, maybe for somebody to feel confident to show their vulnerability professionally. Um, you know, how, how would you advise, I guess, the, the young sports clinician who's new to a team or maybe on like a one-year contract working for a sports team? How do you give them the confidence to show that vulnerability and say what they could be doing better when they might be nervous, uh, maybe via imposter syndrome or, or just from being new to the, new to the show? How do you, how do you give them the confidence to uh, open up when they're trying to be as perfect as they can be acutely? Man, that's, that's such a good question. I think, uh, you know, initially, like currently in our group, our goal is for everybody to talk every meeting and provide some form of input. And, and then in those group meetings, we go around the room and ask each person specifically uh, to work through that. Now, for a new clinician, provider, strength coach, sports scientist in this space, I think creating a really strong personal relationship with your director. Uh, and that's not just on them, right? That's on the, on the director or their supervisor to do that as well. Um, but having those conversations on a regular basis as well, so that it's not just, Hey, you've been here for, you know, six months. Here's our first real big, real heavy group meeting. You know, tell us why you think you're not doing your job right. Uh, but instead, those conversations have been happening, whether it's over coffee, over dinner, and chipping away uh, at that so that they're comfortable in that space. And we know that we're ever evolving as a group. Uh, I think one thing that helps younger individuals is to, you know, it's, it's hard because you're trying to break into the space, but also being honest with yourself and with organizations when you're going through the interview process. So you find a culture and a group that fits your, uh, like your personality and what your goals are. I can say it pretty openly now. And for a long time, it was challenging for me. It was, I struck out on a lot of, a lot of interviews, um, as most people do, uh, trying to get into this space, sent a lot of resumes. And I think, reflecting on that one of the reasons i struck out is because i was i was very honest with teams uh, i didn't i didn't push myself to fit into somebody else's culture or somebody else's treatment paradigm if a group had an overarching treatment theme i i spoke very honestly about what i do what my belief system is around treatment and you know at the time it wasn't around sports science but just around player health care and I think because of that, I ended up in such an excellent situation with the Nuggets. And I think that's kind of key, isn't it? You, if you window dress your own resume or you window dress yourself and your beliefs or your opinions uh, through that interview process or, or through the early days, then once you settle into that team and you relax a little bit and you become more yourself, if you falsely advertised or represented yourself, it's then going to become apparent later on that you're not the right fit. And I think it takes a little bit of luck in a funny sort of way to find a team where you do, you know, your values and your personality meshes with the culture and uh, maybe their systems or at least their, uh, their way of running things day to day. Yeah, absolutely. And also finding a team that you feel like is going to help you grow as well uh, in the future. Cause it's, e it's easy to like, Oh, I'm going to, once you get into the team, like I'm just going to stick in this role, but also your growth with an organization speaks a lot to the culture inside of that organization uh, on top of your performance in your role, right? I wouldn't have been able to evolve or been trusted to build out a sports science and ultimately now building into a research platform with the nuggets. Uh, if the organization didn't have a great culture for growth and rewarding success and that I also think is important inside of that that culture space for younger individuals trying to break into this space, asking during your interview, you know, what, not just what are your goals for this job right now, but where do you see me fitting in this organization in one year or three years 
or where is this organization or where is this performance unit's goals to be in three years? How does that group want to evolve? Because I think that speaks to how you'll fit in there as well. If, a, if an organization says, well, our goals are to spend the next three years learning more about manual therapy and working through that space, but your goal as a younger provider is to spend the next three years honing your periodization skills. Those are, those are two different goals. Now how they align is worth having that conversation, but, but getting into those layers of questions and diving deeper is really important. And, you know, I know from speaking to you fairly regularly that you're always, um, you know, sharpening the store as such, and, you know, you're doing a PhD that you've mentioned. And um, I've got no doubts that you're constantly reading journals and, and other literature to stay sharp, but, what are you doing or what are you reading or uh, how do you kind of focus your personal professional development outside of the technical? Is there anything like you're looking at currently or reading that's, that's interesting or helping you, you know, maybe with the softer stuff, if we call it that? Yeah, I, I have a few people that personally I lean on pretty hard in this space uh, from other, from other settings. So I have a, one of my mentors from, uh, my fellowship program is working on his PhD in psychology. So it's really interesting to have those conversations with him about uh, how do you manage groups? Uh, how are people thinking? Why are they thinking this way? And he's able, we're able to have those conversations still. And he can forward me over, Hey, you know, read that. This is an article I found really interesting on soft skills. Uh, that's been really helpful for me in this space. Another individual that I've leaned on a lot, particularly recently, is our team psychologist has been really helpful in this space. Uh, over the hiatus, he's been giving regular presentations to our entire group about managing stressors, but even seeking him out independently to have conversations about uh, how do you manage stress? How do you manage anxiety? How do you manage difficult conversations? Uh, how do you read individuals' body language? And so learning from somebody who does that for a living is crucial because uh, I, I could read all day and never necessarily figure out what he has learned over a career. Uh, right? This is what he does. And it's I think some of it is how I've worked to sharpen other other skill sets as well is reaching to people outside of just performance. Uh, so reaching out to people whose space is developing soft skills and handling soft skills and handling uncomfortable situations, right? It's really easy to try and speak to uh, psychologists about that because that's what they do for a living. Uh, he's had great ideas around group culture. He actually came on a road trip with us. Boy, my seasons are blurring together. It might've been this season. Uh, and was able to give us some feedback as a group on what we were. He spoke, he spoke well of what we were doing. It's also like digging that layer. Like, Hey, I don't, I don't just want you to say what we're doing. Well, let us know what you felt like we could improve upon as well. So maybe it's a little bit different than just simply reading a book or reading a journal article, but that's what I found really successful is having those conversations with people. I think we're getting better at it as well. When, when I had um, Bill Burgos, who's at the uh, Timberwolves, um, when I had him on early on in the podcast, he, he made a really nice point of uh, uh, explaining how he gets into the facility early, works out and gets his mind straight before he actually does his job. So, you know, if he can't, if he can't look after himself or he can't get his own mind where he wants it, then he's not going to be able to serve the athletes or the team how he'd like to. So he kind of puts himself um, first in a healthy way to then be able to deliver a better, a better service and, 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 and sort of value to the team. I would echo that uh, for an entire episode, I think, especially being here in the bubble in such a stressful situation. And I spent the first several weeks here just like working as hard as I possibly could every moment, every day. And, you know, f reflecting on it was like, is my, is my work as high quality as I want it to be right now? Why or why not? Uh, and then taking a moment to, understand like, oh, your, your personal workout routine has not been where it normally is. Your sleep schedule's getting off. I think so often we forget 
that staff health and wellness is crucial to supporting player uh, health and wellness and performance. If we're, if we're not at the top of our game, there's no chance that the product we are delivering for our players, whether that is medically performance sports science, there's no way that that outcome is as good. So always taking care of yourself so that you can do a great job. Now, certain, now certainly there's times that that balance is going to shift and that it has to shift, but I, I could echo that for, for a much longer episode. No, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, I think with COVID as well, you know, regardless of what setting you work in, I think, and I hope most people can, that, that will resonate with most people, um, whether they're a coach, clinician, scientist, or, or any other. Um, Matt, it's been, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Um, where can you give, can you give the listeners a reminder? Where can they kind of follow you and see what you're up to and, you know, see what your career is up to. Absolutely. So, uh, my Instagram and my Twitter are the same. It's at doc Tuttle DPT. So D O C T U T T L E D P T. Uh, my LinkedIn might even be the same, but, uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well for like more of the purely professional, uh, side of things too. As far as where I'll try and put my research up as stuff starts to get published for my PhD, I'll try and get it floated out on that platform as well. Uh, I'm not as good on social media as I as some of my colleagues are, but if you if you reach out on there, I'll, I'll do my best to get back to you. And if you don't hear from me, just hit me back up and I'll, I'll try again. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on again, mate. It's always it's always good to talk to you. And when you're free from the bubble, we've we've got to actually have a beer um, instead of a podcast for one of our conversations. Oh man, I I absolutely can't wait for that. As soon as we are uh, safer to travel, and you know, we'll get through this as a as a community or as a as a country. And you know, on the back end of that, there's a lot of you included. There's a lot of people I look forward to catching up to for a couple of cold months. There'll be a lot of beers shared, I'm sure. So <laughs> cool, mate. Well, thanks for coming on, and um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant to talk to you. And I wish you and the uh, and the Nuggets the best of luck in the bubble. Awesome. Well, we will talk soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers, mate. It was great to check in and catch up with Matt, and I wish him and the Denver Nuggets the best of luck living and competing in the NBA bubble. Before I go, I just want to draw attention to a clinical education opportunity. For the clinicians based or familiar with CPD provision in the UK, health education seminars have collaborated with James and Elizabeth Moore at the Centre of Health and Human Performance on Harley Street. Together, they have released the Health Development and Performance Network. So through the means of face-to-face courses, expert mentoring, and online content, they are rolling out clinical education taught by some of the leading experts in our field, aimed at members developing their own level of expertise. Pay them a visit on social media channels at HDPN Global. If you'd like to refer to the show notes for today's episode, then you can find them as usual at our website, informperformance.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at informperformance or on Twitter at informpod. Thanks for listening to the Inform Performance podcast with me, Andy McDonald. Catch us next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.